Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. Our reading today is from Mark 12, verses 28 through 44. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father. We come to this time to hear from you, to hear your holy word, to hear it for our time. So, Father, we pray, give us ears to hear it and hearts to receive it. Father, we know that your word is holy and good and true, is pure. Father, it is given for our good. So, Heavenly Father, let us make the most of this time hearing from you what your word has to say to us. And so, Heavenly Father, that it would be your word. Make me a pure speaker, a pure preacher today. Father, that I would say what is from the text, what is in the text. Father, keep uh, my speech from corruption. Let it be you who speaks through me. Make me clear and concise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we are 
quickly getting to the, the end of the book of Mark. We are in the last week, the week of the Passion, and we know how that week ends. We have been going through the triumphal entry and then these conflicts with various leaders of Israel and seeing how uh, Jesus and the leaders are positioning themselves and how the leaders are preparing to make a case to arrest Jesus. And so we come to this passage, which is very famous. We know this passage. We know these scriptures. It's called the Great Commandment, to love our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I guess I should also say, if you're uh, little ones, uh, second grade or younger, we do have children's church. If you want to head back for that right now, I see kids waiting to go. So, okay, there we go. I've made that announcement. Uh, anyhow, sorry about that. Let, let, me, let me maybe, uh, so, so we see where the context is, but how does this passage touch on, on our lives? What, is it, what does it look like in our lives? And as I was thinking about that, I was remembering uh, a funeral that I went to about a decade ago. Uh, it, it was a, a funeral that was celebrating a, a man who was uh, a strong believer, strong person in our church. His name was, was Bill. And uh, the funeral gave me an opportunity to hear how this person came to faith. And it was a, a very arresting story, something uh, profound that I've just never been able to, to shake. And I think that uh, there is a parallel between what uh, I learned in Bill's uh, funeral and what we have here today. Uh, Bill was a, um, a prestigious man, a successful businessman, a successful person in the church. He served as an elder. He had uh, been involved in every kind of decision-making committee in my, my previous church. Um, he was foundational. He was a kind of a cornerstone uh, person for that congregation. But in his funeral, I discovered that a good part of his life, uh, he would not believe, even as a leader in, in the church, that he was truly a Christian. And the way that he came to discover that was he was sitting in a Sunday school class, and he just looked across at uh, a, a woman of the church, a very quiet woman, kind of a, a mousy woman, uh, and just saw her face as she read the scriptures, as she was in the class, and saw just the pleasantness, the serenity, the joyfulness, kind of the calm sweetness that laid upon that person's soul. She could, he could see that. And he recognized that she had something that he didn't have. He knew something. He, she, he, she knew something. She was experiencing something in her faith that was foreign to him, that was just not his. And so he ended up being convicted by that quiet witness, turned to the Lord and asked to be made a true believer in Jesus Christ, one who truly uh, knows the faith and loves the Lord and Savior. And that was the moment where he became a true Christian. He looked like everybody else. He was successful in the church. Have, have you ever had that experience? Can you relate to saying, you look at somebody else, you say, what do they have that I don't have? What are they getting out of church that, that I am not getting? What are they hearing in these sermons that I'm not hearing? Do you ever have that experience? Do you ever wonder what's going on in that person's mind that they are so engaged and I don't seem to be? I think that this passage today helps us get at that. It focuses on 
what it really means to be a Christian, what it means to know the love of God and to love out and live out the love of God. As we see, this, is, this, this concludes the, the last section that we went through last week where we were talking about these various disputes where Jesus is, is taking away the kingdom from these leaders who have wasted the kingdom and instead going to give the kingdom to new heirs. We saw that the new heirs of the kingdom last week were going to be those who were marked by submissiveness and faithfulness and genuineness and being trusting. This week continues right on with that story where we are going to see that the heirs of the kingdom are those who live out the love of God in this world, who manifest the ethic of the kingdom, which is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We see this when the scribe comes up to Jesus and he wants to know what is the greatest commandment, what is the foremost commandment in the scriptures. And we should stop right there. Jesus has just announced the greatest commandment in the Bible. This is the foremost, most important thing for us to be abiding, for us to be in obedience to. Luther recognized when he came to this great commandment, because he had a, a lawyer's mind, he recognized that if it is the greatest commandment, that by definition, failing this commandment is the greatest transgression. If this is the greatest commandment, if we fall short of this commandment, then we are convicted of great guilt. Do we fall short of loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? I know I have. And in that reality, this commandment can be very convicting. How do we live out this love? How do we fulfill the greatest commandment? How do we make our lives lives that communicate not just by words, but but by our deeds and by our nature, the love of the gospel, the truth of the gospel? How do we become people whose faces convict those who do not know the Lord that they need to know the Lord? Our scripture today will show us what it means to live out the great commandment. How is the great commandment fulfilled in our lives? And we're going to see this under three headings. The first heading that we have here is that the love for God must be all-consuming. The first heading that we must recognize when we, when we talk about the great commandment is that the love for God must be all-consuming. And that's right there in verses 28 to 34. We see this, this scribe who in the previous uh, encounters, the scribes were part of the group of people who were trying to get Jesus to be trapped in his words. But this scribe comes uh, as an individual and he appears to be coming more contemplative, more reflective, more neutral than the other scribes. It is very likely that he has been impressed with Jesus' answers to the disputers of the last chapter, and now he is ready to hear what Jesus has to say on some important topic. And so he comes to him ready to, ready to engage, to have a discussion He wants to hear what this teacher who has bested the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the priests, 
what he thinks is the supreme foremost uh, law of the scriptures. And I think it's important for us at the very front end to recognize that this person comes with a different approach to Jesus and he gets a completely different response. The response is last week, you come to Jesus with an argument, you're going to get an argument. But this man comes to Jesus to learn and Jesus engages him on the question and he actually teaches. I think we see in these disputes one very simple application, and that is uh, the words of Psalm 18.26 brought to fulfillment. We're told in Psalm 18.26 this, To the pure you show yourself pure, but to the devious you show yourself shrewd. I know many people who have an axe to bear with God. They only come to God with an argument. They only come to God with a debate. They don't come to God with a pure, searching, seeking heart. They don't want to know him. They want to box him. They want to dispute with him. And I think we should recognize that if your heart is not coming to know God, God knows your heart, and he will give you exactly what your heart desires. But if you come to him open, if you come to him seeking, if you come to him with a pure heart, he will show himself pure. If you want to learn from him, he invites you, come to me, and he will teach you. So if you find yourself not not hearing from God, it is first and foremost a question of what is your heart doing when it comes to God? Is it seeking to debate, to dispute, to find the reason that this scripture, which is speaking to you, doesn't have to reform your life? If that is the way you come, the scriptures will continue to frustrate you. But if you come to the scriptures and say, teach me, Lord, I want to hear from you. Psalm eighteen twenty six says, to the pure, he will show himself pure. So let us consider when we come to the Lord, the scribe's example. How are you coming? The scribe asks the, 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 our, our Lord Jesus, he says, well, what is the foremost commandment? And Jesus responds in kind. He responds with truth. He says, uh, he goes back to the Old Testament. He goes back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, 4, and 5, and he recites the uh, most famous scripture in the Old Testament. It's called the, Shem, uh, the Shema, which means hear. And he says to this scribe, the most important commandment is this, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and foremost commandment. This is what it means uh, to fulfill uh, the greatest commandment, to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus gives us four terms to describe the love of God. So that we recognize that love of God must be all-consuming. Love of God must be total. Love of God must be complete. And I think that that all four of those categories need to be uh, recognized as what completeness means. Love of God is not just a feeling. Love of God is also thinking. Love of God is not just believing. Love of God is doing. Love of God is not just private. Love of God is public. Love of God is not just internal. The love of God is external. It is all 
Our purpose statement at River Community Church is that we help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. That totality, that all-consumingness is what we mean by the words live in and live out. Live in, have all of your identity, all of your understanding of yourself in the good news of Jesus Christ. Have all of your life, all that you do, all that you think, all that you say, all that you pursue under the gospel of Christ. Live it out. Make it known. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is totality. It is all-consuming. There isn't a part of you, there isn't a particle about you that should not be part of loving God. And then Jesus tells us that the second great commandment flows right out of the first commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That again comes right from the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Jesus is just quoting the scriptures. Now how is the love of God and the love of neighbor related? Are these just two, two uh, top commandments that, that are not connected but are, are good? Or are these two commandments essential and indivisible? Jesus is, is giving these two because he recognizes that to truly love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength means you must love your neighbor as yourself. For the simple fact that loving your neighbor as yourself is a commandment from God, and if you're going to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're going to follow his commandments. But I think that there are even more uh, essential connections between these two uh, scriptures. I'd like you to listen to these words from the book of James. James says this, With our mouths, with our tongues, We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. See, James here is doing what Jesus is is telling us in this passage. He is showing that our fulfillment of the first commandment and the fulfillment of the second great commandment are linked Because if we are going to praise God, certainly fulfilling the first commandment, but we are going to speak libel and slander against people who are made in the image of God, we are showing that we do not really love God because we do not love the people he has put his image upon. I think there is right there a question for each and every one of us. Do we show our fundamental belief that we are made in the image of God by showing respect, by showing um, love in our speech to one another. Not just face-to-face, on our computers, in our emails, to the telemarketers, whatever. Are we showing the love of God and our love for our neighbor when it just comes to the simple matter of our speech? Now, I look at this passage, and I always come to this, this totality, all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's crushing. Who can possibly love something with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, all their strength? I mean, how, how can you possibly love something that much? Is that even possible? Has God laid upon us a command that is impossible to fulfill? Uh, He might have. However, I want us to think about 
how we love. How do we love? I mean, I celebrated my 14th anniversary this week, and uh, I can tell you when I fell in love with Becky, every conversation went to Becky. Every thought went to Becky. Every plan went to Becky. Every moment of my life was tied up in, I'm in love. And that's still true every single day, 14 years later. Um, no, but, but the, yes, yes, yes. Now, transitioning. Uh, but that's what the heart does when it loves. The heart is consumed loving its object. Think about love of children. Love for your your favorite hobby. Love for your work, if that uh, describes you. It, it, It transforms you. It forms you. It makes you do things. It it consumes you. You are made to love with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Because we have something in our life that we love that way. Something that we hope to love that way. We love that way. That is how our heart loves. Our heart is made to love. It will consume itself with the love of something. And I think that might be one of the reasons that the, 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 the sense that I have in our culture all the time is, is just a sense of angst. A sense of of disappointment, of unfulfillment. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, your your vision is either reclaiming the past or or getting to something glorious in the future. But every single person, every single objective, every life that we live seems to have this angst in it. It seems like the question that lies above all of us is, is this it? Is this it? I just I just got to the to, to the to the goal of the American dream. Is this it? Is the TV finally satisfying? That I got the TV or the nice car finally satisfying, or the uh, the, the 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 retirement finally satisfying, or the, the 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 accomplishment of our biggest dream? It's not very long before we come to this place of. Is this it? A sense where what we have loved, what we have pursued, what we have given our hearts to has just come up shy. And we're like, why isn't it satisfying? Why isn't it fulfilling? You see, our hearts are designed to love with all of ourselves. And it will love something completely. And if we're struggling with that feeling of, is this it? Then I think Psalm 135.18 speaks to, to what's going on in our hearts. Psalm 135.18 says, Those who make them, they are idols in this example, become like them. So do all who trust in them. The idea of an idol is something that we love in the place of God. 
And anything that we try to love that's in the place of God leaves us with an is-this-it feeling, an unsatisfyingness, a question of whether it's uh, it, w- whether maybe the problem is I just need a little bit more of it, or maybe it's just down the corner. But this is this it feeling lives on top of every single thing when we love our, and give our hearts to something before we give it to God. You see, the great commandment reveals that God must be the first love of our hearts because he alone is worthy and can satisfy the love of our hearts. That whole feeling of, is this it? That's, that's your pre-programmed heart that God gave you to tell you that you will be restless until you find your rest in God and all that he is. Because God has made our hearts big on love, wanting love, desiring love, ready to love. But there is nothing that he has created that can satisfy and fulfill the size of love that God has in our hearts. And so the great commandment is a commandment given out of love. He's not, he's not saying selfishly, I need you to love me to fulfill me. He's saying, you need to love me so that you can experience the fulfillment for which your heart was designed. The great commandment reveals that God must be the first love of our hearts because he alone is worthy and can satisfy the love of our hearts. Listen to what David uh, said in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let me say this, if your heart is given to God, all your, all your uh, uh, heart, mind, soul, and strength is given to God, you will not come to a place where you say, is this it? Because God, as the infinite, most beautiful, most righteous being in the universe, is so fascinating, so beautiful, so compelling, so infinite, that you will never get to a place where you have exhausted the majesty and beauty and wonder of loving God. You'll never get into eternity and say, is this it? Is this worship getting old? Because it can't. The most fascinating, awesome being, the God who the seraphim cry, holy, 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 to, is there to fulfill your hearts. And so if you were living in this world going day in and day out with the gnawing, is this it feeling, then it is God's love that gives you this commandment. Turn yourself to God to find the fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. So this is what Jesus says to the scribe. The scribe says, wow, you, you did a great answer there, Jesus, which is, I'm sure, meant a lot to Jesus. Uh, and then Jesus says something that may need to haunt some of us. The, the scribe answered back, you are right, Jesus. Loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is the most important thing. And Jesus says back to the scribe, and I think he says this right from his heart of love, You are not far. 
from the kingdom of God. You're not far, but you're not in. You're not far, but at the same time, he's not in. So what's missing? The guy knows the answer. The guy knows that Jesus answered correctly. He knows what the great commandment is. And yet Jesus says, you are not in the kingdom of God just knowing the answer. He is missing something critical. What's he missing? I believe that is what the rest of our passage is intending to fill out. Now, we, I, I have uh, switched uh, points two and three on your handout, so we're actually going to look at verses 38 to 44 next. And I'm going to call that the second heading, but if you want it to be in the right blank, it needs to be in the third one. Uh, the second heading of what it means to fulfill uh, the great commandment in our lives must be this. Love for God must be demonstrated in our lives. So Jesus has just explained the great commandment to the scribe. Now the question is, well, what does the great commandment look like practically? And what do we have here but two examples a group of scribes, actually Jesus speaking to, to the school of scribes, and a poor widow. These two examples come at this point in the story to illustrate the great commandment practically. There is a negative example that we will find from the scribes, and there is a positive example that we will find in the widow. Let us now look at the, the scribes, verses 38 to 40. Let's read those again so they're fresh in our minds. In his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. You see, the scribes, after having just explained that this particular scribe is not far from the kingdom of God, Jesus now talks about the school of scribes in general to describe them. And they are now being uh, described as those who are in danger of the greater condemnation. This honestly should make us shudder. Because the scribes were the people in this culture that were full of truth. They probably had the whole Bible memorized. They were full of truth. They had right belief. They were orthodox. And they had right behavior. You would walk around them seeing how they behaved, and you would not be able to accuse them of violating any commandment. They looked like a walking Torah. They talked Torah all day long. That's the Old Testament law. They were so prestigious that people sat to listen to them because they knew the truth. They knew the word. Yet what is wrong? We must know what is wrong about the scribes because if you can be full of truth, have right belief, and have right practice, but be subject to the greater condemnation, we need to know exactly where they went wrong. What is wrong? It is simply this. Their love is disordered. Who do the scribes love with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? They do love something with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. What is it? They love themselves with all their heart, mind, soul, 
and strength. I mean, they go to the the places of honor at feasts. They make a, a pretense out of long prayers. They like to walk around in long robes. They like greetings in the marketplaces. They love themselves and they want the love of others upon them. They have a disordered love. They love themselves over God. And it is because their uh, order of love for themselves is above God that they are subject and pronounced as having the greater condemnation. What does that mean for us? It means this. The biggest threat to our souls is not a list of of sins, but disordered love. The scribes could be imitated, and you would probably be more righteous than you are in your personal life by your deeds. But because their loves were disordered, because their love was ultimately upon themselves, they are due the greater condemnation. The biggest threat to our souls is not a list of sins but disordered love. In the scribes, we have Psalm 135, 8 in flesh. You see, they have made an idol of themselves. They have made love for themselves most ultimate. And what is the result? What have they become? They've become selfish. And in their selfishness, they are free to harm. They devour widows' houses. Why do they devour widows' houses? Because the, 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 the widow's giving to, to their cause is so righteous that they don't see any reason to show sympathy upon the widow's estate. Their idolatry of self makes them selfish and makes them harmful to even helpless widows. The scribe's condemnation shows that it is not just our acts not just our deeds, that will be judged. It will be our motives. It will be why did you do what you did? Why did you tithe? Why did you help? Why did you do the good that you did? The scribes show us that we can do a lot of good things because ultimately we love ourselves. And if that is where our heart truly is, the greater condemnation could be ours. But there is a positive example. Thank goodness, right? The widow. Out of this, out of this hustle and bustle at the, at the temple complex, Jesus sits down with his disciples and he's, he's watching people throw their money into the offering uh, Box And the offering box had this big trumpet design that allowed your coins to fall in, rattle, 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 pop down into the bottom. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when your kid uh, goes and, and sees that, that penny or that quarter that can go around and around and around, gets a lot of money because it makes a lot of fun, right? Uh, so what was going on is all the rich people were, were coming to the offering box and, and they would throw in some heavy coins, rattle, 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 ching. It made a great show. And they were able to, to show everybody by that loud clanging noise, I have given and I have given a lot. And Jesus is there, he's watching all of this, and he sees 
a, a meek, almost invisible little woman, a, a poor widow, come up to that offering box and drop in two little mites, two coins that probably hardly make noise when they hit each other. And they fall in the offering box, and she goes on her way with no attention or fanfare upon herself. And Jesus sees this, and he singles her out to his disciples to say these words. They all, the rich, contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I do not think it's a mistake that Jesus is specifying the totality of the woman's offering in light of the great commandment. The woman is living out the great commandment by putting in everything she has, all that she had to live on, into the offering box to God. And it was small. It didn't make any noise. But we see here Jesus noticing it, and he recognizes it. The smallest acts motivated by love of God is noticed, and they receive our Lord's commendation. This woman receives commendation, whereas the showy acts of the scribes receive condemnation. Isn't this great encouragement? It's not the size of your acts. It's the sincerity. It's the motivation of love. Even the smallest act motivated sincerely by the love of God will receive an eternal commendation by God. Well done, good and faithful servant. The smallest cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus will be remembered far longer than any political leader that has had any success in this age, in the here and now. Because it will be the Lord that remembers it. It is just like with, with my, uh, the, the, the funeral of my friend uh, Bill. His, his acts in the church were much larger than this uh, small, quiet woman. But her influence, her effect, because there was purity of heart showing through her, had an eternal consequence. I think that is great encouragement. The smallest acts motivated by love for God will be noticed and receive our Lord's commendation. So I think as we look at these two different examples, the love of God must be demonstrated in our love. As we look at the scribes and the widow, we have to recognize this. Our lives demonstrate our great love. Our lives demonstrate our great love. Is it our love for self? Is it it love for God? Is it love for something else? The question I think that must lay on us right now is, what is the great love of your life? I sit down from time to time, with a family who wants uh, a a eulogy and a a funeral. And uh, sometimes you sit down and the the kids, the people who know their mom or their dad or whatever best, they'll tell you a whole bunch of stuff about the person. And you know that what they're telling you is, is what seems to be the most important things about that person's life. It's an eerie, uncomfortable, bothersome experience for a pastor when this biography is laid out And they don't mention Jesus. They don't mention faith. And I think the question is, when your kids or the people who know you best say, I want to remember this person's life at their funeral, 
Is it going to reveal that your life was committed to the love of self or to the love of God? So the great commandment is shown here practically. The great commandment is demonstrated in selfless acts of love to God. When God looks at your heart, is he going to see the heart of the widow or is he going to see the heart of a scribe? And that brings us to our third heading. Because if you're like me, you know that your heart has a lot of scribe in it. But the good news is that love for God must finally be through the Son. And here we look at verses 35 and 37. As I come to this place, perhaps you have the question, well, how do I reorder my loves? How do I reorder from the love of self to the love of God? How do I do that? A famous Puritan preacher named uh, Thomas Chalmers had a, a, a beautiful expression uh, called the expulsive power of a new affection. You see, Thomas Chalmers recognized that the way that you destroy an idol, the way that you destroy an inadequate love is by introducing a superior, more wonderful, more consuming love that will expel the inferior infection, uh, affection. And so we see in this last couple of verses that the gospel alone has the power to reorder our lives. Let us now look at these verses 35 to 37. As Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, So how is he also his son, or how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. The question that that is is being uh, answered here is where does the Christ fit into the great commandment? The Lord is one, so where does the person of Jesus fit into the great commandment? And Jesus is going to answer that by pointing the scribes and the people that are listening to a passage in their psalm, Psalm 110, where it says, Uh, that the Lord is my Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, a a psalm written by David. Jesus is opening the door for a recognition that our understanding of who God is is larger than just um, they had in in their understanding. He wants them to recognize that the Christ comes not just as a son of David, but he comes as someone superior to David. Jesus here is revealing that Psalm 110 includes what we call inner Trinitarian dialogue. We have one person of the Trinity speaking to another person of the Trinity. The Lord said to my Lord. And so we see Jesus laying forth a small snippet of the doctrine of the Trinity, which for sake of of brevity has three essentials. When we talk about the doctrine of the Trinity, we, we are affirming this, that there is one God. That's number one. Second, that that one God is in three persons, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that finally, that each person of the Trinity is fully God. So when we say the Trinity, we are saying that there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each person fully God. And we see that in this passage. We see that David speaking in the Holy Spirit uh, says, the Lord, the Father, said to my Lord, the Son. So we have the Trinity. And what Jesus is wanting us to see here is that the great commandment requires us to bring our love to God through Christ. 
the Trinity is important for us to grasp here because it makes the gospel all grace. The love that God shows for us is not because of a lack of God, but it's because God is love. Psalm 110 is telling us from Jesus that the salvation that we receive is entirely a work of God. Now here, here is where I believe our affections are able to be reordered. Look carefully at verse 36. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Here is the shocking thing as we recognize that, that we are saved by the work of the triune God. When God the Father speaks to God the Son. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Recognize that when we are talking about the feet, these feet are the Lord's. And they were pierced for our salvation. These sovereign feet of our Lord have been pierced to make us his. These feet were nailed to a cross to make us not his enemies, not do greater condemnation, but instead recipients of grace and love. These feet are pierced. The feet that rule the cosmos are pierced for love of us, that we might be brought into his family, that we might be brought into experience of his love. He loved us so much that the Lord of the cosmos experienced his own feet being pierced by the nails upon the cross, that you might have him and know the love which has no end, which has pleasures forevermore. His feet were pierced so that we could experience the fullness of joy in his presence. And they were feet designed to rule the cosmos. And yet they were pierced to make us his. This is the expulsive power of a new affection. That is the kind of love that will triumph over all possible inferior loves. What would you choose over that love? That is the love that secures you for eternity. That is the love of the gospel. The gospel reorders our affections. When we grasp that the king of heaven became our ransom upon a cross so that we might have heaven with him. As we fix our eyes upon that, the great commandment becomes our heart's desire. Because what do we want to love more than the one who loved us through the very piercing of his feet? Now let's finish again at verse 34. Jesus saw that the scribe answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Could that describe you? Could you be described as not far? From the kingdom of God. You're close. But if that is where you are. If that is where you stay. You are in a fearful state. Because unless you are in the kingdom of God. You are in danger of condemnation. You are either covered 
by the blood of Christ, you are either under the grace of God or you are outside of it. Can you say confidently that you are in the kingdom of God because being near is not enough? My friend Bill recognized before he died that what he had, what he believed, what he knew, what he did was not fully in the kingdom of God. He recognized in seeing his friend and her sweet face that the love that she had was not the love that he knew. He recognized that he needed that love. Have you experienced the expulsive power of a new affection? Have you experienced the power of the gospel to reorder your loves? Settle this in your heart. Turn to Christ and call upon him as Lord and Savior. And in his presence will be the fullness of joy for you. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.